<clears throat> All right, well, good morning. We are ready to dig into part two, Revelation part two. Uh, it's, it, this part is going to be probably one of the most exciting parts for you because it is going to be your first real blush, sort of your first uh, picture of what you're going to be looking at. And for those who've never studied it inductively, I can tell you it's going to be a whole new ball game for you. It's going to be very exciting and you are going to love this. Um, I can tell you myself, even though I've done this several times, every time I, I go through it again, I learn something new. So you never stop learning and you never have um, enough information to fully get it all. And Part of the reason would be why. Why do you think no matter how many times we, re, we study the book of Revelation, um, why is it that we never fully get to that place of being, feeling like we really understand it all? Yeah, <laughs> that's so obvious, right, Kristen? It hasn't happened yet. Since it hasn't happened yet, much of, of what really all of what we're going to be looking at now has not yet happened. And so before that reason, all we can do is take the elements of the text and try to come to interpretation about what they, they represent. Some of them, some of the pieces as we go through are going to be obvious. And the text is actually going to say, this is this. So it's going to give us interpretation within the text itself, as God so often does for us, thankfully, right? There are other things that are left yet in out kind of out there. And I would say, um, let me just ask the question. If there is something that's so vague that even yet throughout 2000 years of the history of the church, we still don't know who that particular entity is or who that particular group is or what that specific imagery is what does that mean for you and i in regarding basically the the fullness of the word the text itself okay maybe that we're not supposed to yet know yeah maybe it's being kind of yet veiled and concealed like jesus did so much in the uh in the old testament concerning his coming okay that we need to yet dig deep. Maybe we don't have enough information yet. Maybe it's because we've only studied this much and we need to study this much, right? So, because we do know that often uh, the first time through, we, we didn't get it. The second time through, we go, oh, I wonder if that's this. And maybe the third time we go, oh, I see, right? Oh, now I get it. So maybe it's just a progressive thing. Like precept says, precept upon precept. And it just takes time to get to that place. What else? There you go. There's the third one. And I, I got to say that one to me is probably the most important one as far as for our emotions. If there are things that after you have dug and dug and dug and you are still not sure about it, it doesn't mean that you don't want to keep digging, but it does mean that maybe what you have to do sometimes is let it rest. You have to just trust that, first of all, God said it, so it is, whatever it is, right? And maybe you don't fully grab hold of it yet or fully understand it yet. And others, by the way, will have a million possible choices because that's why so many of these are yet still unknown and there's controversy over them. Well, this 
this picture, it means this. No, it means this. No, it means this, right? And so there's an argument in the commentaries and out there in the, um, among the experts, the so-called experts, right? And sometimes you just end up going with your favorite pastor, whoever, whatever he thinks it is. You go, okay, well, that sounds good to me. Um, but here's what we know is every word that God has written will be fulfilled, right? And our job is to try to dig into this and to find out as much as we can. And the things that we don't fully grab hold of and understand and get a good interpretation on. And, and when I say a good interpretation, your interpretation should be able to be backed up in other scriptures. You should be able to go to other cross-references and find support to what you're saying, right? And if you can't get to that place because you're still struggling with it, then you just have to kind of give yourself a break for a while. After all, it hasn't happened yet. So it isn't like it's past history, it's, it's future. The ones that we can fully grab hold of are, the, are, for the most part, the things that are in the Old Testament, the things that are written concerning the birthing of the church. We, we can nail those things down pretty clearly, but this is imagery, and it's about some, a future event that's not yet happened, right? So I just give you that as a word of encouragement to say, you know, maybe, maybe God doesn't want us to know that yet. Maybe... Uh, we, we haven't done enough study yet. For sure, we haven't because we're only in part two. Or number three, maybe it's just that you have to let it rest until God gives you full, fuller understanding so that you can, under, you can get to that interpretation. Okay. All right. What I want to do, though, is tell you to begin with um, concerning Revelation part two, this is just a basics that you grab hold in your mind of what you're doing right now. Revelation two is a 12 week overview. Does everybody understand what an overview is? Yes. Overview. You're looking at things from way up here, flying in the sky and you're looking down, you're getting the big, broad picture, right? That's the purpose. You want to be, while you're doing this part of your homework, you're going to be interrogating the text, asking who, what, why, when, where, and how questions, right? Just like always. Um, you want to see what is clearly stated right now. That's it. You're not going to go into word studies. You're not going to go into cross-references. None of that is going to happen in part two yet. But it will, and trust me, when it does, you're going to be overwhelmed with all the, with all the cross-referencing that's going to happen. And it's difficult when you go into cross-referencing because then you're into unknown territory, right? Right now in Revelation, we're going to be in the, what's known to us. But when you go in this cross-reference, it's going to be a challenge. So just enjoy right now these 12 weeks of overview. Remember, that's what you're looking for. You're not going to be coming to interpretations unless they're clearly stated in the text. Okay. There will be a few things, but otherwise you're not looking to get, come to interpretation yet. And trust me, as an inductive student, that's the best attitude to have anyway, as you do an overview on any book. Don't try to come to conclusions until you really do do all the work that prepares you to look at it properly. Um, we are going to be looking very carefully at the visual details in this part too. Now, we're not 
quite there yet. We got a few, a couple more weeks or so, but pretty soon you're going to begin to draw out these chapters. And I think it's a, over about a three week, maybe a four week. I can't remember how many weeks it is, but you draw, 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 draw. Those are, I can't, I cannot express to you how important, who in here has done the revelation and understands now the importance of the drawing? Okay. T can you give us a testimony on that? Why you think that these well, people should be encouraged? Yes. Okay. So the important. So for you, the importance is the importance of doing the drawing is what? Okay. To be able. Okay. I was trying to to draw it together so that you can visualize it. So because visualize, I think visualization is why God wrote this to us in visualization. He gave us visualization because there weren't enough words to convey all the truths that are behind the things that are shown to us here, right? And because sometimes a picture is what? Worth a, worth a thousand words, exactly. You can say so much more with a visual than you can uh, by writing it all out. And so part of uh, the other thing I think is interesting is God didn't give us all the information as clearly as he, you know, as I think it would have been in hindsight, it's going to be clear, but right now it's not clear. Why? Because he didn't give us all the details. Why doesn't he give us all the details? I think a lot of it has to do with walk by faith. Know that God said this and this is, said, is what he has said he's going to do. Trust that he's doing it for all the right reasons. He's a loving God. He's a righteous God. He's a God that, that must judge uh, sin, right? And therefore, you can trust that what he's doing is right, okay? Um, any other testimonies about why you think the drawing was so important? It's a spontaneous process, and remember <clears throat> that God finds it while you're drawing to the call. There you go. Okay, excellent. Yeah, right. But you really have to slow down. If you're going to have to draw it, you have to understand what you're trying to draw. You can't draw it well. Like, what is it supposed to be? Kristen, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly right. So this is this is exactly what they're saying. The, the purpose for the drawing is to, is to cause your mind to slow down and pay attention to all the details. And once you get it on paper, even then you go back and reread and you go, oh, that's in the wrong, that's not what that said. And you go back, you erase your picture, redraw your, I can tell you some of my drawings I drew three or four or five times just because I wanted it to be right, you know, in my thinking. The other thing is, is once you've done it, it, it is, it's like locked in there because the, like what Martha said, it's a process. The process solidifies when you use all those 
different uh, senses, right? My teacher Kathy is saying yes, because you, when you when you use all of your senses, your your eyes, your hearing, your your seeing, your draw, your physically drawing, and then there's a visualization. All those things contribute to helping you. Uh, come to a, a better understanding. And what's going to happen, I think, is a, a lot of presuppositions that maybe you've been taught from previous classes on this book are going to dissolve. You're going to be able to just put them aside and say, well, that person meant well. I'm not, I'm not disrespecting them. I'm just saying I can see now that that interpretation is incorrect and I'm willing to let it go and I'm going to move on. This process of drawing is going to really help you to determine what is actually facts and what is supposition. Oh, he's just, he's assuming that, or he's kind of like what happened, remember, in our letters to the churches where some people had interpretations about different things and they were drawing things from outside the the context of what was going on in that letter and in, even historically in that church and they're drawing something from outside and bringing it in well it means this right and they were wrong because it was totally not fitting the context of what you were looking at so this is going to help you discipline that way so those of you who hate drawing just do your best i know do your best it'll be fun actually you're gonna love it we're gonna do some show and tell it'll be a lot of fun uh, yeah, please don't do that. That won't, that won't help you learn. You know that, right? Okay, let's start now. Let's go in. Let's begin. We're going to begin by setting context again for the book on the whole, because that was your week, your day one's homework this week, right? Um, one of the things that Kay does is in the beginning of lesson one is she talks you through with some exhortations about what, what's going on. Basically, she said just what I said. Thank you so much. Um, uh, she has said in here, she wants, Revelations was written to encourage you, first and foremost. Do you remember, you do have to remember that. It's really hard to remember that, though. It was actually written to encourage you, not to distress you and not to make you frustrated. So you have to remember that. It, you are to read and hear and heed the words of this prophecy. And then what is the second thing that Kay had said that she really wants you to do in this? Do you remember? What is the outcome of this? What does she want to come out of this study? Is it just so that you read it and studied it and now you can quote it? There you go. The whole point to this is by the time you're done, you are going to have a little different perspective on your God. And in, and in that perspective, add that to all the other things that we've looked at. How much have we looked at concerning who our God is so far in our revelation study? Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, wow. Uh, could you, if you had to make a list right now about Jesus, what we've learned about Jesus, that that's we couldn't get it on this one board there are so many points that we've learned the way that he conveyed to us and what he called us those titles that he gave to us and then and then it's not just that it's what that means because then you got to expand on those so what we know about who our god is is so essential now this part of revelation is going to show a, another quality of our god um this is going to show our righteous judging god the one that comes in to avenge the one that comes in to set right, the one that comes in to put to an end the rebellion of man against God's rule. 
So we're, we're going to be seeing that. And then so what she wants us to do is to is to, yes, read it and hear it and heed the words, but also to live in light of what Revelation teaches, as I, I think it was Kathleen again earlier said, um, you know, once you come to understand Revelation a little bit better, it, that, it definitely motivates you to want to go out and witness, right, to tell others about it and to live in light of it and to remember that um, God is the sovereign God and to have peace in that. So that's, that's the strategy. To she wants you to discover from your own uh, objective fact gathering. So that, I, I hope you read those encouragements from Kay, and sometimes we tend to run past those, but I do want you to consider those. Okay, so let's go back and let's do a quick review on the context. Who, who is our author? Our author was John. And we see that right away in chapter one, verse one. And who were the recipients? Who are the recipients of this book? Seven churches. The, okay, seven churches. And then how does that grow? Does it, or does it grow uh, in a bigger way after you get past just the statements in verse one, uh, chapter one. It's to us. It's to all the churches through all the ages, throughout every generation, right? Because first of all, those messages to those seven churches, do they apply only to that church in that generation? No. Oh, I loved this. When we finished our homework uh, last week and we went through, I, we did a chart on it. What did you learn about, in essence, who are the overcomers? Anyone and anyone, yeah, we are, but what does that mean? We, how, how do you mean we? Believers, it's those who believe, who put their faith in Jesus Christ and who believe very specific things about him, right? Um, let me look at this and see. Uh, those who pursue Jesus as their first love, right? Those who believe Jesus is the resurrected Lord. Those who, who uh, hold fast to Jesus's teachings only. In other words, you don't mix it with any other thing. You don't bring in any other religious faith system or teachings. You are, you understand that he is a God that is a jealous God and you are to be faithful to his teaching only. Um, in Thyatira, it was that you fear Jesus, who is our holy God. In other words, the, the fear of the Lord reigns you in, in moral conduct, right? It teaches you or it encourages you to want to be faithful to him and to his word. And therefore, this particular church at Thyatira, they were, they were being led astray and going into immoralities. And so if you have faith in Jesus, it's the kind of faith that's a fear of God and it's a reverential fear of God. And that fear that you have of, of God Almighty is that you will uh, rein in your moral conduct, your behaviors, right? Uh, Sardis, it was that you unite the gospel, those things that you have heard, right, the truth from God's word, with faith. It's not good enough to just hear the faith and to say that you believe the faith, but, you have, but your faith has to be united with what you've heard. And therefore, what will be the result in your life? The sanctification. Your life will begin to display that what you say you believe is true. 
okay? Also in Philadelphia, that you're humble before Jesus, you stand firm in his word and have not denied his faith. Now, this is the church in Philadelphia that had no condemnation against them. It was all commending, right? And so in this case, he listed three things that they were doing well. That first one was that they are humble before, they had a, a little power. And that little power is what I was kind of alluding to earlier about interpretation on that. Well, what is that little power? It's, the hum it's humility before God because he was commending them for it. And in that con uh, commending, the implication is it's united with the next two things that follow it, that you stand firm in his word and have not denied his name. And the three of those together as a unit are a, are a part of the picture of what it means to really believe in Jesus Christ, understand who he is and to, and to come into faith in him. It's a salvation faith. And the last one, Laodicea really nailed this very clearly. I thought it's those who are, who will go to Jesus to buy from him eternal life, eternal riches, right? And so the picture on the whole that we have from that is that these are these are bond servants, they're saints, and they are the churches. They're not just the seven churches. So as much as I understand the knee jerk to want to go back to just say, oh, it's to the seven churches, don't do that. Try to discipline yourself to understand it's to the bond servants, it's to the believers, it's to the church. It does, and it also, yes, it does. That's right. Very good, exactly. So in verse, right off the bat in verse one, it says the bond servants. And the, at, at the end of Revelation, it bookends it with, again, it's mentions the churches, but it doesn't say the seven churches, it says the churches. So this is a letter, who are the recipients? It's believers. The churches, the church, the bond servants. I'm going to have to switch that pen. It's a bad pen. Every week I have bad pens. How is that possible? Let's go to green. Okay, so author and recipient. Now, what is the purpose for this particular book? We haven't gone back over this in a while. Yes, good. You guys got it. Read it back again. One, one. Yes, to, the purpose of the writing of the book of Revelation is to show the bond servants the things which must soon take place. That's in chapter one, verse one, right? Purpose, to show the bond servants Okay, and that's in one one. All right, um, literary style. Okay, so, I'm sorry. Say that again, Diane. Okay. Um, the literary style for the whole book is. Um, well, the literary style. It's epistles in chapters two and three. 
And then uh, prophecy in chapters four. Okay, that's a good. That's a good point. Actually, I've never even thought about that. I know you're looking at me stunned as if I would, there would be something I didn't ever think of, right? Trust me, there is a lot of things your teacher does not think of. What Diane just pointed out, it's really good. Verse, uh, chapters, well, cha chapter one is separate, but chapters two and three are epistles. They're a letter, right? And in that they are, in, they're an epistle. So that would be the literary style, it's a letter. That's very good. There's okay. That's true. They get linked together as, as it moves on. Someone else? Read that again. Okay, and that's in which verse? One, two, to testify. That's good. Actually, yes, it, and it is. And to testify, the problem is, is when you get there, if you, if you divorce two from one, then you're still a little bit vague on everything else that follows. And so I think the crystal clear part is more in one than two, but it is correct. To, you actually can't divorce any of it from one another for that matter. You got to go on to all of it, <laughs> quite honestly. Is that correct? So, yeah. It, so the revelation. Yeah. And? Which one are you guys looking at here? Three, four, th four B. The author was told to write three things. Is that what you're saying? No. To whom is it written? In the, the first question was, who wrote Revelation? The second question was, why was it written? And then there's another question, what was the author bearing witness to when he wrote Revelation? Oh, I see. The author's, okay. And that was the answer that I put for that question was to testify okay and that's really good what about the fact that who jesus is that and who how is he declared to us in this he's the almighty he's the one who is and was who is to come i mean really this could go on and on and on right yeah you're right so it isn't the only definitive point but but on the whole would you say that the purpose in this is to show the bond servants the things which must soon take place. Because what do you see following in chapters really four all the way to 22? It's all the stuff that's gonna soon take place. And the stuff that pre precedes it, what is its purpose and function in the book on the whole? What do you think the, the functionality of looking at number, the first segment division, which was what? Chapter one. And what is chapter one? What is that segment division for us? By the way, I gave you sheets of paper to fill out. Did you notice that? I, you're welcome. I know we haven't done that in a long time. I used to do that every single class in the, in the old days. But uh, this time I did it because I thought it would be helpful to kind of keep your brain straight as we go through this. It gets garbled up when you've got 11 chapters and you're bouncing around. But in that segment division one, what is 
and what is our verse that tells us what our segment division is? Yep, 119. And what does it say there? Okay, so the first thing is the literary style is that the segment division is 119 and it breaks down into three things. Um, book That's the book outline. I'm just gonna put that on here to shorten what I, I don't wanna write the whole thing out, okay? So, but your book outline is to write the things which are, or no, the things which you saw and then the things which are and then the things which will, right. And in comparison, what segment division is the largest? The, yeah, right. The last one, the third one, the things which must soon take place, right? The things which must soon take place. That's your largest segment division. So what does that tell you about, about um, the importance of that part of your determining of your author's purpose? when the majority of the information is about the things which must take place and not about all these other things, what is the emphasis? This right here. So this is how you determine when that, what is your most important purpose statement? It would be the things which must soon take place. And he's written these to us to show the bond servants these things. All right. Jesus. Actually, how about we do this? It's God, actually, and, and it's the Holy Spirit. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> you have to keep us straight, you know, Carol, because, yes, always. Yes. Oh, yes. You want me to erase it and put it in the right order? <laughs> oh, you guys are killed. 45 minutes, we've got so much, don't mess with me. <laughs> Stop messing with my timetable here. I'm gonna, she's keeping a clock on me and I gotta stick with the whole thing. Okay, so literary style is, it, yes, it has letters, but, it's, but primarily it is prophecy through vision, right? It's a vision that's given to him, it's prophecy. It, and the book outline is seen in chapter one, verse 19. So that helps you segment division your book up for yourself. Now, what's really great is now that we're in part three of this segment, this the third portion of this, I want you to understand there are going to be additional segment divisions. You're going to be able to take part three and also break it down. So just be aware of that and kind of keep your eye open for it. You won't see them right away, so don't freak out. Just take your time. But eventually, there are going to be some segment divisions that you're going to be able to see. They're going to help you greatly to kind of grab hold of what the flow is in this book and why, you know, certain things are put in certain orders and why certain things come up. And, it, you know, right now it looks like a jumbled mess, but in time it's going to have some, some semblance of order for us, okay? I'm saying, say it again. So it was a, it's a series of revelations or just one? Oh. I struggle with that. I know, right? <laughs> well, um, the, the I don't think that the text actually, I'm sorry, I have to wipe my little nose here. Um, I don't think that the text 
is super clear on whether or not it's the beginning of a new revelation. I believe chapter one, verse one is where we have to land because that's the opening of the book and that's how God gave it to us. So this is a revelation. Did you see the, there's no S on the end of it? It's a, exactly. Which is another one of those pet peeves for me when people call revelation, revelations. <laughs> and it's not revelations, it's one revelation. And communicated it to his bondservant. Therefore, that's where I'm going to hang my hat. Now, it does look like because through the progress of this, he says, and after that, and after that, and after that, it's really not the beginning of a new revelation. It's the it's the entirety of it is is one revelation, but it's like he sees um, scenes like in a movie. You know, first he gets this scene, then he gets this scene, and then he gets this scene. But the entirety of it, God says in chapter one, verse one, it's a one revelation. Okay. Yes. Okay. Occasion. Now, occasion is one of those things that sometimes uh, gets people like, well, what does that mean, the occasion? It means what is it that is the motivator behind God giving this revelation to us? Well, one of the things I saw, and we, we reiterated over and over when we did chapter one, was that statement in verse seven where it says, behold, do you remember that? And where we said that that word behold, whenever God ste steps up and says, behold, what is he doing? Drawing, Drawing your attention. He's saying, this is really important. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Behold. And then what does he say after that? He is coming in the clouds because so, so he is coming. He is coming. So what do you think the occasion for the writing of this book is? What did he say to us um, in verse one? about what he's writing these things he's going to show to his bond servants what are they the things which how how quickly must soon take place okay um we had another one i think in uh, verse three yeah he concludes he says blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in for the time is near so the occasion is he is coming The time is near, and it's soon, right? Yeah. Okay, I've lost my. I lost my clip. Hold on, I gotta get. I gotta get re readjusted here. Five seconds. It fell off my belt buckle for some reason. Okay. All right. Now, um, all right. So then, okay, that gives, and then there's one more thing we want to address in the context of it. Can you see that? He is coming and the time is near. Now, these are all found in chapter one. Let me give you the verses so you don't have to strain your eyes. Verse one, verse three, and verse seven. Okay, and in there, there are time references. If you mark your observation, 
Yeah, that was scary. So he whistled. Yeah, he was trying to get his buddy's attention and he got ours. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Chris, let me tell you why that's important. It's important to mark your time references because those are often going to do things like this, show you the occasion. Why is God writing this to us now? Think of all the ages throughout all the ages. Certainly we've had, we've had bits and pieces of some of the same events told to us in in ages past, but never in this way, never as decisive and never as um, systematically, right? It's just laid out. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Who is doing that? Oh, it's an alarm. Oh, great. So that'll get your adrenaline going. All right. So because there are time, there are time clocks in all three of those verses, those might draw your eye. And then what you would look at them to say is, is this telling us why he's writing this to us now? Okay, good. All right. And what is the promise? There was one last thing she asked us to look at that you will be blessed. Those who read and hear and heed will be blessed. Okay. Now let's move on to getting the big picture. So we're going to have to do this rapidly. We're going to go chapter by chapter, one through 11. And one of the things that we want to do is we want to try to look for big, chunky pieces on this. We're not going to go into big detail. So I'm going to show you an example of what I'm saying right here. Chapter one, it's John saw Jesus. That's what was in chapter one. Okay, there's a lot more in there, right? But that is, in essence, what was in there. Did everybody kind of get that on their own worksheet at home? Okay, good. And in two and three, it's letters, right? And it's two churches. Wow, that's interesting. Somebody comes and turns it off. Well, hopefully it won't bother you guys too much. <clears throat> okay, so now we're already through. We're through the first three. Done. <laughs> Aren't you happy? Don't you feel better about our time? Do you feel better, Kristen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, we're ready for chapter four. So flip over in your observation worksheets to chapter four. We could do those first three really fast because we know what those are about. We've been through those thoroughly. We don't need to go back over all that right now. So Revelation 4, what did you see going on in Revelation 4? Yes, and, and what did you? The thrones and thrones and thrones, exactly. There are thrones everywhere in there. And concerning the throne, does it show an association with anyone in particular? God. And what is God doing? Sitting. Sitting on the throne. Okay. And where is the throne? In heaven. Okay. So those qualities are all super important. It's God. He's on his throne and he's in heaven. Now, what does that convey to you and I? Well, first of all, it closes with a great deal of what? What's going on at the end? Worship. Worship. 
the, all those who are in the heavenly realm, there's a lot more detail in here about people, people in white garments, people with crowns, right? People who are around that throne. There's all these other imageries that are given to us. And at the close of it, it shows that they are all worshiping God who is on his throne, right? So what message does that in general convey to you? Just, just we're doing a blush. Okay. The one on the throne is worthy. Now, where did you get the word worthy from? Uh, oh, he is worthy for what? Uh, for, worship. for worship. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. When, when, say it again. The Almighty, and he, and because he's the Almighty, and he is sitting on his throne, what does that convey? Sovereignty and power. Tell me, in just in knowing what we're going ahead into, how does that affect you and I right now up front? Wow, what a relief to know God is sitting on his throne in the heavenly realm. Because in the sitting on that throne tells you there is authority, there is control, there is the almighty power of God himself. And so that is something that I think as you leave chapter four, you can say, I don't know a whole lot more about what's going on in there yet. But what I know is God sits on his throne, right? So let's title chapter four that God sits on his throne and you can put in heaven if uh, also if you'd like and and the in heaven part is just going to come later for additional help but anyway okay <clears throat> we can see that's in verse two if you want a reference on that for a good reference point okay go let's go to revelation five see how quick we did that Yay! Revelation five, you know, cause this is fun. This is the fun part. Cause you're going to love this for the next few weeks, because this is what you're going to be doing. It's going to be, what did you see? And we don't, we're going to go into a lot of details. We can talk a little bit about how, how this is affecting you uh, spiritually as you, as you're going through this, just the beginnings of it, but we're not ready to interpret anything yet. This is all going to be accepting you have to get your big chunky pieces what you need to know is what is this chapter about and then you're going to come back later later and dissect it right and that's really hard for a lot of students but you just got to get with the program on that okay so chapter uh, five who is the major subject in chapter five Jesus. that's right the lamb right the word the lamb and concerning the lamb what is the secondary subject that's going on in here? There's a problem with a little book, right? And people are in distress about this little book, right? What is their distress? No one has been found who is worthy, worthy to open that book, right? Or to even look into it. I, I just thought that was issues, not, not just open it, but they're not even allowed to look on it. They're not worthy to even look upon it. So the one who is worthy is the lamb. And what is the lamb then say, in conclusion, what is the lamb going to do? He will be opening that book. So how would we title this? Worthy to open the book. 
Okay, we're going to put on here the word, the lamb, right? Not Jesus. The lamb is worthy to open the book. Or the lamb who is worthy to open the book is another way you could state that. Okay, I mean, there's, I'm not locking you into technical words as long as you get close to that that's the primary subject matter the lamb and this book and whoever it is that's worthy to open it that's the major subject in chapter five okay chapter six there's a bunch of seals that are, so once we find out in five that someone is worthy to open it now he begins to open it right so jesus is opening so, so then the lamb broke one of the seven seals. So obviously one of them is the first one, right? Because how do we know that? What does it say in verse three? The second one. And in verse five, the third one in seven, the fourth and nine, the fifth and in 12, the sixth. Now, very interesting. How many seals were on that book? There were seven seals. So what we see is these are six seals. And I'm going to put of seven. Are, yes, you can put on there the lamb breaks them if you want to. Yes. I already knew that. I just skipped that part, but that's good. Six of seven seals are broken in chapter six. That's kind of a nice six and six. Help you match it up. If you ever want to remember where your six seals are that are broken, just remember six on six, right? So you go to chapter six for it. See, those are the little skills I'm going to teach you along the way. <laughs> and that's how my little peeny brain works. <laughs> I need things that help trigger it. Okay, that's chapter six. Now, really interesting things in there, huh? What kind of things did you see in there about those seals that, that are interesting to you? Lots of creatures. Oh, lovely horses again. Here we are back to horses. Are there horses in heaven? <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> we definitely know there's some in the spiritual realm, right? All right. Anything else? No? Yeah. There were also key words. And remember, the other thing we were supposed to be doing right now is beginning a keywords list, right? You're, so you're supposed to make a list, come up with symbols and coloring for them, and then begin to mark these things in your text. So the great thing about this is it's going to greatly help you when you get to the next portion, when she, as you come back and begin to do more inductive work, you'll have already marked this much in your text. So those things, that'll be done. That's work that's finished. And you're going to be very thankful for that. One of the, one of the th words that comes up in here is what? what subject earthquake. earthquake isn't that interesting so we have at the at the end of chapter six there uh, in verse 12 an earthquake that occurs right uh and that's when the sixth seal is broken there was a great earthquake um <clears throat> the other words that you should have marked were the word seal all the way through there and the word heard and I'm going to just show you what I did also to help myself in, in marking these. I'll show this to you all. I took a yellow highlighter and just drew, drew a highlighted line on each of the seven 
seal or the six seals that are on this particular one so I could see where they are in the page very quickly. So you might want to do that just to highlight. Yeah, good girl. Oh, Carol, I'm so proud of you. She's come a long way, baby. <laughs> good job, Carol. Okay. Um, all right, so don't forget to begin your list. This is just a list of how I'm marking keywords in, chap in these chapters. And that way there'll be continuity. When you move from chapter six to chapter seven to chapter eight, you'll mark them all in the same way because you have a list that helps remind you, how did I mark that word seal? How did I mark that word rain? How did I mark time references, right? So if you mark them consistently with the same color, and the same um, symbol, whatever your symbol is, then it'll help you to have that flow consistent. So a lot of these are keywords for just a particular chapter. So do, do we include them on Yes. If she's giving them to you and she's telling you to mark them. But but the word seal is there so you could still mark it yes because there is a seal in, involved yes yes it won't hurt later you'll discern which ones are are connected to what you'll get that figured out for yourself in time but yes go ahead and mark them for now i'm sorry my nose is still dripping today i came down with a really bad cold my doctor was so good she gave me uh, a Z-Pack, she gave me a, a, a steroid shot, and I've been living on uh, Zycam for the whole week, and I never got a cough, I never got, I mean, nothing, and I did do COVID tests, no COVID, it's just a cold, you know, but it was mean, but I got rid of it pretty quick, because I got surgery tomorrow, so I don't want to have issues, I know, I don't want to be sick, right, and so, yay, for my doctor, she was great, okay. All right, now, so we got six of the seven seals are broken. We now have been reminded about our keywords list. You gotta start making sure that you make that list. You can write it up however you want. I mean, sometimes she talks about doing it on an index card. I find for Revelation in particular, it's not big enough. So I just started it on a sheet of paper that's got my three holes. And I can put it in and out of my book and I can move it along as I'm going. Uh, and move it around wherever I need it. So this is really, really, really important. Don't miss this step, okay? You're gonna be so sorry if you don't have that. Okay, um, <clears throat> okay, let's go on to seven, chapter seven. Okay, there's 144,000 that are sealed. What verses are covered for the 144,000? Okay, oh, or you could say one through eight, <laughs> or one through eight, right? I mean, basically one sets it up. After this, I saw these angels and it was the angels that began, that are presented that do what? What do they do with 144,000? They seal them. It's a different kind of seal than the other seals, right? So you might want to mark it in a different way. And if you haven't, don't, it's no big deal. What I hope you have done for yourself is made photocopies of your observation worksheets so that, yeah, we're all shaking our head because of the perfectionist in me. I like to go back and if I marked something wrong, like in this case, I might have saw the word sealed first time through and marked it like the other seals that are on the 
the book that Jesus opens, only this seal is obviously different. This is a seal. What does this seal do? In some significant way, it marks the, these 144,000, right? And so, and it's a seal that's placed where? On their forehead. I want that forehead seal. I want it on every one of us so we know who's a believer. Just because, you know, I want to, uh, that's true, but I want a mark. I want it to glow. <laughs> I want it to glow in the dark and keep us awake at night, even. I mean, I want to, I want to shine for Jesus. <laughs> I get a gold star. Okay. 144,000, one through eight. Now what happens after verse eight? What, what is the, the major subject there? Yeah. A great multitude. And as you keep reading, how are they defined for us? Yeah. Okay. You starting in verse nine. You get a new subject, right? Okay. And what is the new subject? Who are the people group there? The great multitude. Do you see them? In verse 9, a great multitude. And that multitude, when you get to verse 14, how are they described? Yes. Oh, interesting. These are the ones who have washed their robes. Now, what have we already learned in part one about those who have washed their robes with the blood of Jesus? Who are they? They're overcomers. And who is an overcomer? It's a believer, right? So these are the believers who come out of where? The great tribulation. So that this is a very good um, I guess an indicator to, to define exactly who this people group is, right? So in verses nine to 17, then you have a new people group, a new subject. So as happens so often in historical books, and this is also history, it's just unfulfilled history, right? The first eight verses are about one subject and the next last verses are about another subject. So guess what your title is gonna do? It's gonna have basically two subjects in it. So what are our two subjects for chapter seven? 144,000 are sealed. Okay. Um, and where are these people? They're on what? On the earth. Did you notice that word earth in those verses? I think it was there, right? Yes. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the winds of earth so that no wind would blow on earth or the sea or on any tree. So where seas and trees on the earth. And then he says, and I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea saying do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed what the bond servants of our god where on their foreheads so what i just wanted to point out to you is how often is earth mentioned so how important do you think it is for you to understand that whoever these people are where are they located on the earth <laughs> so you might want that in your title just to remind yourself that we're not talking about heavenly something the reason I point that out is because the next segment 
the multitude, where are they? They're before the throne. So they are in heaven. <laughs> ah, okay. So we have 144,000 sealed on the earth. And that's our first title. And the second title is, and so that's one to eight. Boy, this thing wobbles. I wish it didn't do that. Can you see, can you lock it down somehow? Oh, maybe. It's pretty good. Thank you. Okay, 144,000. And then the second title is going to be what? That's a conclusion. We are not ready for conclusions yet. Is she, is she, you, F for F, F for jumping ahead. <laughs> I know, poor Kathleen's hiding under her paper now. <laughs> okay, yes, it, yes. As a matter of fact, Kathleen, I just want you to know, full confession, I wrote Tribulation Saints on mine the first at the beginning, and then I went, oh, that's a conclusion. I shouldn't do that yet, because we're just in overview. <laughs> yes. Okay, that would, oh, sure, you could do that. Um, a great multitude, a great multitude out of the tribulation, U-L-A-T-I-O-N. And where are they? Before God's throne and then that's going to be verse 9 through 17 right correct or you could just say a great multitude <laughs> to simplify your title uh, the rest of it is explanation of the who they the people group is this one but we do know this is they are before God's throne, just like this is out of the earth. This is the 144,000 that are sealed. Where are they on the earth? So you might want to just say this in parentheses, right? And your title would be the 144,000 sealed and a great multitude. God's throne. Yes. You wrap them. Yeah. Okay. Now the, okay. That's a seven. All right. And there's some really great stuff in that particular chapter too. It's really fun to, to look in that one. Let's move on to eight. We are moving quickly. I know that never happens. It never happens. You're right. I know, but we, we should be able to do this pretty quickly every week, just because we're just touching the surface we're not going into interpretation yet okay which means will you make it done with your lessons early yes it is and you're not ready for that yet um in chapter eight one of the things i i did what you wanted to do too is i did mark the angels um, and then I colored them differently so that I could distinguish one angel from another angel that they were doing distinctive things. But beyond that, that's all I did. 
I didn't try to interpret who they are and why they're there and what's going on with them. We're not, we are so far from that. It's not even, chapter eight, you know, that's way down the road for us. Right now we're doing big picture overview, which is, it should be very freeing for you, Carol. It should be going, yay, okay, I'm not ready to interpret yet, right? We're just looking at the big, the big picture. <laughs> we, I know. See, and I'm a, I'm a total right brainer. Ah, let it go. <laughs> okay. All right. So seven. Now let's go to eight. Yes. Very good. Okay. Seventh seal. We see in verses one through six, the, uh, the seventh seal is broken, correct? Yes. And then starting in verse seven, again, I'm going to show you, I did the same thing here where I used a yellow highlighter and I just marked each time the first one sounded, the second one sounded, the third one sounded. That was, that's just helpful, I think, uh, to help people with your eye, just to quickly pick up on where you're at with it. Okay. Carol already did it. So she's in good shape. I can see her shaking her head. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So eight, you said one through six is, is the seventh seal opened. Now that's interesting. Now, Think about this in perspective to where the sixth seal was. We do know there was a sixth seal. Where was it? Back in chapter six. So we had a seven tucked in between, sandwiched between six and eight is the seven. And here it shows us group groups of people, right? And specific things. So what we have to do eventually is go back and figure out why is that tucked in between those two? Why didn't it just sequentially go from the sixth seal onto the seventh seal? No, instead we got chapter seven in there. What is that about, right? That should be a big question mark on your page, right? Okay, chapter eight in the seventh seal is open. That was in uh, one, uh, one to six. And following it is what? First four trumpets sounded. And that is seven to 13. Now, there are a couple other things, though, that I think are worthy of taking note. Um, what is it that happens when the seventh seal is, is broken? Silence. Silence in heaven for how long? half an hour. Now, I don't know that it has to go on your titling. If you, if you like it real streamlined, you can skip this part, but I went ahead and put it on mine for right now, maybe in pencil, just because I thought, what if I, that's something I need to pay attention to later? And I won't know, right, until I dig in later. Later, I can erase it if it's not significant. But for right now, I do want to put on here uh, silence in heaven. Uh, may, well, maybe, or it, or it's a, it's a, <laughs> or it's just a lesson. It's or it's just a lesson in method. 
methodology. Because as you go through these things, processing, um, as an inductive student, sometimes you come across things and you're not sure if they're important or not, right? Yes, question? No, I was just going to say that that was the biggest thing that stood out to me was the sound. That, yeah. Right, right. So it's, yeah, how, and not only that, but look what was before it and after it was all this turmoil and all this noise and all these people and all this activity, and now there's silence. And not only that, but in the beginning, you have talks about the four creatures going around. They never stop. Mm -hmm. Saying, holy, 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 for half an hour, there was silence in heaven. And is it a literal half hour or is it symbolic, right? Okay, silence in heaven for half an hour. And then there's another significant statement that comes up as, as you get to the close of uh, chapter eight. Isn't that interesting? What is there? Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Okay, so how many trumpets are left? How many woes are given? Oh, I noticed that. Good job. So what do you think that might mean? That there's three more woes to come. There are three more woes to come. And if there are three trumpets to come and there are three woes to come, what might that mean? Each trumpet then is probably bringing a woe. That, you know, that's a that's a good guess. And it's not, we are not ready fully for interpretation on that, but you know what's going to happen when you get into the, uh, the fifth trumpet? What happens in chapter 9, verse 12, at the end of the fifth trumpet? The first when you go to chapter 9 and you look at verse 12, after the fifth trumpet is sounded, the statement in the text is, the first woe is past. So that means when the fifth trumpet has sounded, that was a woe. Okay, what, what that means, we'll, we'll get there. But for right now, what you now know is the fifth trumpet is a woe, correct? So here's where, we, where we're at in nine. We know the fifth trumpet, the first woe is passed. Okay, and we are, let's see, let me get, grab my other pen. Let's see what color was I used, purple. Back to my purple, okay. Let's get our titles for verse nine then. What do we see in, in uh, chapter nine? The fifth and the sixth. So we have the fifth trumpet. And what verses is the fifth trumpet covered in? One through 12, okay. And then there's the sixth trumpet, and it's 13 to 21, so says Kristen. Okay, and after the fifth trumpet happens, we see at the end of it, the first woe is passed, right? But it's very interesting. Have we seen that with the sixth trumpet, the next woe is passed yet? No, okay. So this is the great 
demonstration to you of how we are mapping things out right now. We're placing things in an orderly manner. That's why I gave you the chart I gave you this week. It's a little bit like what Kay gave you, but this one's I think a little bit more specific to the outline of this. But what this is gonna do is help you see the flow where things are going on and how things are repeated and where they're repeated and you're able to actually begin to start categorizing things and seeing how things are laying out in this book. So right now we know the fifth trumpet is the first woe and when it finishes that's the completion of the first woe. Okay. The com after the completion of the fifth trumpet is the completion of the first woe which is what I said on the board. <laughs> That's okay. And um, let's go back up here though. I forgot to write on here. We want to make, since we said silence in heaven up here, we also want to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Because of the remaining. Three trumpets. That's said in verse 13, okay? So if you get that on your chart, what you're gonna see, silence in heaven, whoa, 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 because of the remaining three trumpets. The fifth trumpet sounds, and at the close of it, it says the first woe is past. Okay, pretty cool. Already starting to, get really quiet in here because people are starting to go this is cool this is really cool i like this right i'm liking this revelation part too okay nine let's go into ten <clears throat> again we take a detour off of our trumpets for some reason we know there are seven trumpets and yet we hit the sixth trumpet and now we see again a little pause and who do we see in the Revelation 10, who are the major people and what are the major subjects? There's an angel, what kind of an angel? A strong angel, okay. He's a strong angel, where does he come from? Out of heaven. And he's, um, it says that he, uh, there's also something else that's very interesting to me um, in verse three. Uh -huh. And when he cried out, yes, yes, so he does. And then what happens with the thunder? Peals of thunder utter their voices. Isn't that interesting? So thunder utters its voice. And then what is the voice that he had heard from heaven say about that thunder that utters his voice? Don't write about it. Do not write. Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Ooh, that's not fair. That's really not fair, God. What does that tell you about the information that John got that we are not privy to? We're not privy to it. There's something else that was said and apparently it may have been something that God just did not want us to know yet. He, he wants to withhold it for why? Because he's mean? Because he doesn't like us? He doesn't want us to know everything? 
because of his perfect timing. That's exactly right. He has to keep things back sometimes, just like he did about who Jesus was in the beginning. The Old Testament prophets didn't fully comprehend who he was, and the apostles even that walked with Jesus weren't fully, you know, their eyes weren't fully opened until after the cross. There wasn't full conviction of their faith in Jesus as the Savior until after the cross and after the resurrection. Why? They may have tried to stop it. So God withheld some things. There were some things that were held back until the fullness of time came when the son of man was glorified. And then God began to, through his prophets, write the rest of the information that we needed that he gave us more insight on. Here's another one of those little insights about how God works with you and I. He gives us what we need when we need it and things that we are not ready for that, that, may be detrimental even to God's plan or may not be beneficial for us to know. He says, don't write, seal it up. Right? Well, in the gospel, they say, Jesus was always saying, my time has not yet come. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So what would you say if you had to draw a conclusion about verses one through seven? Who is that major subject about and what is he doing? It's about the strong angel. And concerning the strong angel, what is the other qualifier? That little book that he's holding, right? So we see then there's a strong angel. with a little book. I like that. That's so cute. A little book. It just sounds, sounds like a, you know, a little child's book that you're going to read. But you wonder why it's called a little book. And you wonder what in the world is that little book? Well, the next half of this chapter gives you some clues about that. When you went on to, to the rest of at after verse 7, who comes to be the major subject there? John and concerning John what's going on with him yeah he's told to eat the book right and then after he eats that book what's he told to do you and very interesting I don't know if you noticed it but did you see the word must in that verse and they said to me you must prophesy again and I, I noticed the word again too and I'm like hmm, that's interesting concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings so if you have to title verses 8 through 11, what would you say? John, right? It's about John. And what about him? Yep, he's told to eat the book, the little book. I just put book because I wanted to shorten my words, the little book. Um, and then do what? And prophesy. So what does that tell you if he's going to eat the book? And I think it's really interesting, all the, the descriptions in there. How, how did it taste to him when he ate it? It was sweet. Sweet as honey. Yeah. Do you, do you remember what that verse is by chance? I, Isaiah? Sweet as honey? Or maybe... 
maybe it's okay. We have to look it up right now because it's it's not important. But yeah, when we get there and we start researching that, the idea that God's word or this, I'm sorry, that little book is as sweet as honey, right? We need to try to analyze what that means. And the fact that then the result of it, eating it is then he is to do what? Prophesy. And what does that mean? Prophesy what? About what? So whose book, whose book do you think that was? It had to be God's book. So it's God's word, and he's going to prophesy it after having eaten it. It's very interesting. The imagery and all that is just beautiful, right? So a strong angel with a little book, and John is told to eat the book. So there are two points in, in this particular chapter as, a, as kind of a pause to the, seventh, the sixth trumpet. As a matter of fact, yeah, good question. Very interesting. I can't wait until we do some research on that because I don't know that I ever honed in on that particular quality of it. Yeah. That's a really good analogy. You should have written the revelation. A bitter pill. <laughs> a bitter pill. Yes. Um, and I want to expand on that. A bitter pill that tastes bad at the moment, but it's good for you because it's going to make you well. It's going to make the earth well. It's going to. Yeah, cherry flavored. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we, we, we can go into this. We're writing our own revelations, right? That's pretty bad. Okay. All right. So let's get these verses here. This is one through seven, and this is eight to 11. Okay. One chapter left, and we are, man. We are doing so well. Now, uh, when we get to 11, what happens? Where are we? The first 14 verses are about what? I know, but where are we in the flow of things? We left off with the sixth trumpet here. We did see at the close of the fifth trumpet, and she said, now the first woe is, or he said, the first woe is past. We... We did the sixth trumpet, but did you see the sixth trumpet end? No. Okay. So then we have this little pause in chapter 10, and now we're back in 11. How does verse 14 close? Go to 11, 14. The second woe is past. So what does that tell you you're in in verses 1 through 14? You're still in the sixth trumpet. So here, let's go up here again. We'll put on here sixth trumpet. And that's one through 14, right? So we have 13 to 21 is the sixth trumpet and one to 14 is the sixth trumpet. And what happens at the close of the sixth trumpet? He says, he says what? Yeah, so we got sixth trumpet. And now we have second woe is past. Very cool, huh? Just seeing how this is laying out in the progression. So now what you absolutely know, if you hadn't totally picked up on it before, here it says, whoa, 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 because of the remaining three trumpets, the fifth trumpet finishes and it says, first woe is past. 
six trumpet finishes, it says second woe is passed. What does that tell you about the seventh trumpet? It's which woe? The third woe. Very good. We, I mean, we've really, we're really laying out a lot already, right? Chapter 10 also gives us a pause. That's right. Just like we also saw over here in seven. So seven and 10 were both pauses. Okay, sixth trumpet. Now we have seventh trumpet, right? Happens in verse 15. Am I correct? Okay. It sounded and it's 15 to 19, all the way to the end. And any other major events that you see? What is it that he opens? I mean, we don't see the conclusion again of the seventh, do we? Okay, so what does that tell you we're going to probably do? It's going to come up later. In one of the next chapters that you guys are going to be doing this week in your homework, you're going to find a, a picking up to finish this seventh trumpet because it's going on, it has to go on just like the sixth trumpet uh, went here and it picked back up in chapter 11 to finish out, right? The seventh trumpet begins here, but we haven't seen the end of it. It doesn't give us a conclusion, right? And so we're waiting to see where that's gonna come up and we don't know where, which chapter yet because we have to go on and look at chapter 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, okay? Okay, good. Tell me what it says there. Yes. So, and who is this speaking of you? God or Jesus, right? Jesus. Jesus is going to reign, it says. You have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And, and your great wrath came. And the time came for the dead to be judged and time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great. And it doesn't say time to, but it implies time to destroy those who destroy the earth. So it looks like we have a list there of things that are occurring at this point through the, the sounding of the seventh trumpet. There's a list that you're going to need to make when it's time to do that. You were not ready for that, but you're going to make a list of things that are going to occur that somehow are affected or, or it's the catalyst through which then this begins to happen when the sounding of the seventh trumpet occurs. So we have to see what that seventh trumpet is all about. We're going to draw lots of pictures. You're going to go in and diagram it all. Then you're going to start making lists by using your words. First you do pictures, then you'll do words, okay? That'll all come later. I keep looking at you, I'm sorry. You're, listen, you guys, I hope that you guys are going to be very, very sweet and generous to our friend Martha, who's going to be taking over class for me for the next few weeks while I'm away. It's a big, big job in Martha. And I know you have said yes with, I mean, this is huge. And it's a morning class and an evening class. So, I mean, I teach twice every Monday. It's, it's a lot of work. I signed up for the job knowing it. And I've been doing this for years and years. So for me, it's easy because, no, it's not really super easy, but it's, it's easier than it will be for you <laughs> because it's going to be, but thank you, Martha, so much for 
taking this on for us. We, yes, we appreciate you already. We appreciate you. Okay. And it's, and as you can see, having gone through today's lesson, super easy. This is not hard because we're not into interpretation. We're not into timelines. We're not into a lot of the real detailed stuff right now. We're a big picture. We're looking at just big chunky pieces, trying to get things in their order, in their placement. We're trying to see what the flow of thought is. We're trying to see, are there repeated things like these woes, having looked at these woes this morning, and we're going to look at them in more detail. Often, I can, I don't remember in my years past where we actually saw the woes as clearly as I did this time. Maybe that's my fault and I drew it out <laughs> because I understood it <laughs> or before I didn't totally get it, but now I'm seeing it. And so it just makes sense to add it. Yes, it helps to have it uh, a concise. Now, I also have a blank one for you for next week, um, <laughs> but it has to be printed and you might want to give it to Kristen. It's probably in that folder I gave you. Yeah. Okay. So the seventh trumpet sounded. Um, and what we see in there is a list of all kinds of things that are going to happen. We're going to list all those later. But for right now, we've got the sixth trumpet concludes basically in chapter 11. And the second woe is passed. And then we see the sounding of the seventh trumpet, but we don't have all the ending of it yet uh, displayed. You could, by logical conclusion, you can absolutely say the third woe. Let's see if I can find my pen. Um, seventh trumpet. Verse 714, did I miss it? 11. Yeah, the second woe, I put that up there. That's the sixth one. Yeah, that's for the sixth. But then the seventh says, and the third woe is coming quickly. And the quick, yeah, but we don't see a statement that says, and the third woe is, yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. It didn't say that. But it does say seventh trumpet, um, here it says third woe is coming. Did it say quickly or soon or something like that? Quickly. Yeah, I know. And that's in verse 14, right? So you could do it like this, you guys. Take, pay attention here. Can, oh, this group cannot. We forgot to turn the table. We forgot to turn the table for you guys. So, so you can sorry. see. Yep. Sorry. Okay. So. What we did here then is the sixth trumpet, it goes through verse 14. The very last statement in verse 14 is the third woe is coming quickly. Okay. And then we see the seventh trumpet sounded in verses 15 to 19. We don't see the conclusion of it yet. So somewhere beyond this, we're going to look to find the rest of the seventh trumpet. But it does say the third woe is coming. So the seventh trumpet has come, but we don't know. It says the third it would be a drawing of a conclusion, but it would be the third woe right here. Yes. Um, okay, where, what chapter are we in now? Okay, we're in. Okay, 
you know what? I almost went there myself. Now let, let me help you walk through why you wouldn't necessarily want to add that in right here because it is, it is the two witnesses are the events that are happening when? In the sixth trumpet. So the sixth trumpet is the two witnesses. So by simply listening to the sixth trumpet, you've already covered them. They're a part of the sixth trumpet. So it's the details of the sixth trumpet, which we're not into yet. We're just looking for major events. The major event is uh, in, cha in chapter 11, 1 through 14, is the finishing of the sixth trumpet. Because by, by virtue of that, you would have to go back to chapter 9, verses 13 to 12, uh, 21, 9, 13 to 21. And in there you see plagues. You see mankind uh, is killed by three plagues, fire and smoke and brimstone. Uh, the rest of mankind not killed by these plagues. It talks about people not repenting. You also see horsemen coming out, 200 million of them, right? That's, that is also all the, the sixth trumpet. So there's these horsemen, there's these plagues, and then in 11, there's these two witnesses. That's all part of the sixth trumpet. So those are details about the sixth trumpet. And we don't want to go into those yet. Does that make sense? Yes. yes. Does that? You wanted to go back and find out information about the two witnesses. You wouldn't want them in the title? No, because not, not in the major title. Because the title, all we're looking for is the major event. What is the major event right now? The sixth, the trumpet sounding. We're going to look at what happens when the trumpet sounds later. Right now, we're just looking to see what's the major event. The trumpet sounded. Okay, and all those details will be looked at later. Right. Right. Because that's just, the two witnesses are just one event. I mean, there's all the other events that came in chapter nine yet before it also. Okay. I know we are, we are literally, we are finished. Let me look in here and see what else I might've forgotten to talk about. You know what I want to do? What I, one of the things I do want to do, although I have no worry about any of you guys in this group, but just for the sake of, um, I guess training up the, the household of faith. Kay was talking about keeping the unity of the spirit, right? Until we all come to the unity of faith. In Ephesians chapter four, um, there's a, a whole passage in there about the necessity and the need for the body of Christ to stay in unity with one another, not to become angry over disputes of, about silly things, right? Um, in, in study, would, would you say on the whole, as you've studied in previous times, the book of Revelation, have there been disputes that are really angry and not pleasant about interpretations on things? I think it's this. No, I think it's that. No? Wow. Wow. Okay, you all have not done it enough. That's all I got to say. And certainly out in the world, right? There's a lot of, as a matter of fact, there's a lot of argument as to whether the Bible is true at all, right? Well, anyway, Kay just starts the, the, the 
week's study, this week's study in, in uh, day one's homework, she mentions chapter four. So um, not this time, but in a previous study, I went into the Living Bible, which I don't usually do the, living, the New Living Translation. It's a paraphrase, but it's written in really common language, which makes it easy to understand. I just want to read you some excerpts from that, verses one through five, and then I'm going to jump to verses 11 to 16. So let me just read this for you, because I think it really does a good job about talking about keeping the unity of, of the spirit of, of our unity of faith. Okay, it says in verse four of Ephesians four, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Then I'm going to jump down to verse 11. Now, these are the gifts Christ has given to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind and new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Boy, is that ever a true statement? In, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I love that. Amen. Okay. Well, listen, the unity of the faith, meaning we don't want to become angry over interpretations and we wouldn't, would we? We would never become angry. I have never had a class personally where there's been a lot of anger but i i can see where it could happen so it's not it doesn't hurt to bring it up and that's what kay did in her opening and chat uh the very first homework lesson okay that did it for lesson one keep in mind revelation part two is an overview okay you're not going into interpretation you don't want to go into too much in-depth work in each chapter do just what she says mark your keywords Keep marking those all the way through. Oh, you want my list? Um, this one, I don't have a copy of. This is my, I, I'll, I'll make you one for next, next time. Although I won't be back for like a month. By then you won't need it. Make your own. <laughs> you have to go in and make your own. <laughs> all right. All righty. Thank you so much, you guys. I'll see you in about a month. Okay. Bye. I'll have, 